Good morning, Connect Church. Can you all stand with me this morning as we start to worship and pray together today? We're going to be singing a song called Every Victory today, and it would be easy to go into it. Um, I almost naturally started when I was practicing this week, going into it assuming we were inviting or encouraging Jesus to like come into our battles, into our wars, the things that we needed victory for. And those aren't necessarily wrong things. There are very much things that do concern us, and the things that concern us concern him. But I was reading through the word, and I was willing to take myself to the Bible and say, what are you already fighting? And when I looked into the word, I was much more convicted by the fact that it was talking about that Jesus has been fighting a war for us since the dawn of time. He has been fighting not against the things that we think that we fight against, against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this world. He talks about fighting things that we would not naturally be attuned to fighting, that there is already an invisible war going on. We always are so used to fighting against one another, fighting against things, everything that causes division in our world, and I believe we've seen a great deal of it just this week alone, let alone the last month, year, you name it. But there is something that Jesus has deemed more important than that. There is something that Jesus has deemed holier than that, a fight that might take more of a sacrifice from us to participate in, a fight that may cause us to lay aside some of the weapons we've picked up unjustly, a fight that may humble us in the midst of it all but it is a holy fight, and it is a good fight. Today I want to encourage us as we start to sing this song to not be singing from a place of victory just for our personal wants and desires and hopes, but singing for the victory that God sees, the future victories that Jesus is fighting for. And if that causes us to bend the knee, if that causes us to lay down our arms and align ourselves with a different type of commander than we're used to, then so be it. Let's pray together today before we start. God, we know that you have been fighting for us for so very long, God, that while we were still sinners, while we were still your enemies, that you fought for us, God, that you died for us, Jesus. So God, we pray that we would follow in the footsteps of a commander, God, who is willing to lay down his life to show the ultimate act of love for this world, for people who would never think about him, God, for people who may not love him back, May we be fighters like that, Jesus. Fighters who are willing to lay down what is important to us and pick up a cross instead. God, we pray for your victory, the victories you have deemed and chosen worthy of claiming them. God, we lay aside any victories that we may want, God, that do not align with your will. Jesus, we love you. We honor you today, God. But most importantly, we follow your lead in the war of this world. Jesus name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this together with that mind church. Oh, 
this generation, one life at a time. We trust in your power. We trust in you, Lord, in every single step of the way forward.
Our hope is not in our own holiness, our own worthiness, Lord God. Our own goodness, our hope is in you and how good you are, Lord God, in the goodness and the greatness of our King, that there is no name greater than Jesus, and at the name of Jesus, everything shall bow, whether it's sickness or disease or depression or, 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 or addiction. In the name of Jesus, everything must bow. Daddy, that's where our hope comes from. That's why we can come today with joy. Enter your gates with thanksgiving. We're entering this court with joy. Because our hope is not in us. The tomb is empty. Jesus, you rose again. We are not serving a dead philosophy or an ideology. We are serving and singing to and trusting a living Savior, and his name is Jesus. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. Daddy, come and be magnified in this place today. Father, be glorified. Jesus, take your rightful place in every area of our life. We surrender it to you. We keep nothing back. We hold nothing back. We bow our knee to you. Let your kingdom come, Jesus. Let your will be done, Jesus, in our life in this church, in our nation, in our world, as it is in heaven. For you deserve the glory and you deserve the praise forever and ever and ever. And together in faith, we say amen and amen. Come on, can we give God one shout of praise for his goodness, how good our God is this morning, that we have breath to give him glory. Woo! Hey, good
good morning, church. How are we doing today? Wow, welcome to Connect. I'm so glad that you are here. What a glorious morning. I hope that we believe what we just said. Man, our strength does not come from what we can manifest, the power we can uh, stir up inside of ourselves, how good we can actually be. Matter of fact, we'll never be good enough. That's the good news. The good news is it's never about us. The best news is that he's always good enough, he's always holy enough, and Jesus is always powerful enough. And his love, his love that he has for us, moves him on our best behalf. That's why we're here today. We've got family dedications coming up today. There's so much in the service today, but I don't want us to miss the point of why we're really here. It's not because church service is something that we do on a Sunday morning. It's because we're here to welcome Jesus. The service is about Him. It's not about trusting in anything but who He is and His love for our lives. So I want to invite you today to find your place in that love. Find your identity in that hope. Find your peace today in that promise that he is enough he come on church he is enough he's enough he's enough so welcome to connect thank you for putting gas in your cars for getting up early for dealing with the mess that is the parking lot at the moment but hallelujah that's progress i'm saying amen it's progress thank you for that it's progress year and a half. Sometimes we're like, man, it's been so long. Wait, mm, we need to use these things as life lessons. Sometimes it's been a year and a half. I know, but the breakthrough's coming. The breakthrough's, it may be five years for you, but the breakthrough's coming. My God is faithful to his word. He is faithful to his bride. He's faithful to his promise. So I want to take just a moment also before we even go any further. Can we welcome everybody who's online today, who's on vacation down the shore? We love you. Who's at home struggling with COVID. We're praying for you. We're believing the best. Look, the same God that's here is the same God that's there with you as well. We're so glad you hopped in. Man, press in. Lean in today. Lean in. Well, church for us is not just simply about a Sunday morning experience. It's really about learning to live life well together. And so as you're being seated, before you're seated, can you just find someone you didn't come to church with? Give them a great big high five or an air high five or a fist pump or whatever you're comfortable with. Just get to say hi to somebody this morning. I love it. Mm. You know, we say that all the time, guys, that church isn't about a Sunday morning event. And the truth is, for a long time in our church, we made it about, uh, we, we created a really great event. And there's nothing wrong with actually having a, a great moment to celebrate God, but church is really meant to be learned how we can live life well together. We say that all the time. And you've been seeing us do different things on a Sunday morning to continue to create life together. And one of those things that we're doing this morning that's so exciting to me is that uh, we're doing family dedications this morning. 
Um, and it's just one of those things that should be done in the middle of this, the community. Just like the worship, just like the word, just like communion. This is part of living life well together. Even if they're not your kid, come on somebody. Even if they're, they're, they don't, you, don't, you may not even know the parent, that's all right. This is us doing life together. You know, in the Bible, we see that Jesus, children, parents bring Jesus, uh, kids to Jesus. And he holds them and he prays over them and he teaches us to welcome them as well. And so this morning as a church community, that's what we want to do. We want to stand behind parents as they are standing dedicating themselves to create a home, a life that will raise up this child so that they can love Jesus and be founded in the word. And do you know, one of the, the greatest testimonies, I, I, when I was a youth pastor, I was talking to some of our youth about it many, many, many years ago. But people were like saying, oh, I know I grew up in church. I, I need to go to college and get a testimony. And I'm like, the greatest testimony is not that God saved us after we got scars of sin. It's that God can save us from the scars of sin. And that's, what we're, that's, that's the environment and what we are trying to continue to do in these moments. We as a church are going to stand behind these families and say we're going to dedicate ourselves to creating the church life, to giving them a church home that will help lead them to Jesus, walk with them to Jesus. Come on, throughout the word, we see it all over the place. Hannah brings Samuel to be dedicated to the Lord. Abraham offers Isaac, his son, to God. Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to dedicate Jesus to God. I think there's something very powerful about pro public presentation and public commitment. Right? Isn't that what we do in, in, in baptism? Baptism doesn't save us. It's a public confession of what God has done in our life. There's something powerful, life-changing about these moments. And if you look at all those lives, by the way, of those kids, all of them grew up and did something very powerful and impacted their nation and kingdom in a powerful way. It wasn't because simply the result of this one moment, but this one moment put things into action, set things into motion that led people towards that end. That's why Proverbs 22, 6 says, if you train up a child in the way that they should go when they get older, they won't depart from it. That's not just God's promise. That's God's invitation. That's his invitation to partner with him. That's, parents, what we're doing today is you're saying, I'm going to partner with God and trust him in this moment. That's what we're doing as a church. We're saying to you parents and your families as you stand together today that we're willing to partner with you. We're not here to disciple your kid. We're here to help you disciple your child, to partner with you because there's power in partnership. And we are partnering in faith today as a people with God saying we are dedicating all of these children trusting that every day in their life they're going to walk with you. How powerful can that be in our life? What an invitation. So in just a moment, we're going to have Pastor Kevin and Pastor Lisa. Why don't you guys come on up? These are our, can you guys give them a hand? These are our family and kids uh, ministry pastors, and they are absolutely brilliant. And they're going to be praying over the families. So if you are one of the families that are, that are, that are going to stand today and make that dedication, 
uh, of your children to God. Would you guys stand right now? Just please stand. And any one of your family that wants to stand with you, and free to stand with you as well. This is about family dedications, not just necessarily a parent dedication. But recognize when we're standing, what we're standing in front of is not just a group of people. What we're standing in front of is God. And we are saying, God, you can trust on us, you can rely on us to make that difference. Jimmy and Kara have their children with them this morning, Banks and Francis and Myers, and man, we love you guys. Thank you for all that you do in this, in this church and for who you've continued to be, and I'm so happy that you are standing here. Kara said to me before service, man, I should wait till we stop having children before we do this because it's the multiple times. It's all right. It's a good thing. Keep doing it. Elsie and John, we love you guys. Thank you for just standing with all of your, with Javion and all of the girls today. And you guys look so beautiful. You know, there's something powerful about a family that will stand together. It's not just fighting for each other. It's actually raising up each other. And thank you for standing today, being a part of this with us. And Nick and Heather... You guys have been so patient. <laughs> they have been excited about Juliana. This is eight months old today. I know. She's, look, I love the bow. It's fantastic. Thank you for all that you've done to bring us to this day. And you know, before I even pass it over to, to Kevin and Lisa to pray, and what I love when I look around this room is that so many of the people that are standing actually serve in kids' ministry and have served in kids' ministry for years, and there's something about sowing and reaping. When you are willing to bless someone else's child, come on, when you sow, you reap. So thank you for serving. Thank you for loving. Thank you for being willing to stand today and for trusting God to make a difference. So I know Kevin and Lisa are going to pray when they do. Can, if you feel comfortable, can you just reach out your hands towards uh, these families? Kevin and Lisa, can we just pray over them? Hey, there we go. We're so honored to be standing alongside with you guys, dedicating uh, your families together as a church where we're going to be behind you and all the support that we can. So if you feel comfortable, reach out your hands and let's pray. Yes, thank you, everyone. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this powerful, holy moment, Lord God. I thank you that you are here in our midst, Lord, not just in some distant theoretical way but lord you are truly here you are present lord and i thank you lord that you know that it can be difficult to be a parent lord it's not always easy it comes with many joys it comes with many challenges and i thank you lord god that you call us lord to follow you to have you first in our family so that in the midst of those joys yes. and in the midst of those challenges yes. lord that we would seek you that we would put you first so, Lord God, as a church, Lord, we pray a blessing yes. over every single one of these families, Lord God, over Jamie and Kara and their family, yes, Lord, over yes. John and Elsie and their yes. family, over Heather and Nick and yes. their little girl, Lord, yes. their family, yes. Lord yes. God, yes. we pray yes. for a blessing over them. We pray for strength. Lord, we pray for those moments when 
It feels tough to follow you when it feels hard to put you first in their families. Lord, we pray that they would join with their church family, Lord, because you have not created us to do this alone, Father, that we will grow dim without our brothers and sisters beside us, Lord. So help them to reach out, to not be embarrassed when they need to say that they need help, to come into the house of the Lord, to seek you first, Lord God, that as a family and a church family, we will support each other, Lord God. And as they seek you first and put Mm. you first in their families, Lord God, then just like your word says, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added when you seek first our God, Lord. Not that we will do that perfectly, but in partnership with you in the might of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we reach out our hands to them now, Lord God. We join with them as they take this public step to declare that they Mm. will seek you first in their families, that they will raise up their children in the the house of the Lord to follow you and that they will strive, Lord, to be that example themselves, Lord God. So Mm. we love you. We thank you that you empower us, Lord God. And we thank you for this moment, Heavenly Father. Mm. And we pray a blessing over every single child in all their days to come, Lord God. Not just as a baby or as a child, but as a teen, as an adult. Lord, we pray that you would go before them, that your favor would surround them as with a shield, Father. That you would protect them in Mm. all their days. That they would grow up to have a heart that follows you, to love you, to know you personally, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Awesome. Hey, guys, before you're seated, really just let me encourage you. Man, there's something powerful. What Pastor Lisa just said is so powerful. God has already laid out the days before your children. Nothing will surprise him. But the promise is, if he laid it out before them, he's walking with them through it all. That means he's walking with you through it all. I'm believing, as, they, as Lisa was praying, I was praying for a prophetic voice to rise up in your children. For, for, you to, for them to actually rise up and actually influence this nation, influence our culture, influence their friends for the cause of Christ. Not be an influenced, not be influenced, but be the influencer. And that's why we can't do it alone. We need to do it. Come on, church. We need to do it. We need to do it together life together. Give them a hand. Thank you guys for actually trusting God to do this. We love you. Oh, hey, are you guys ready for the word then? I am ready uh, for this word. Um, I have been planning this word for a little bit. Um, It's been in my spirit and stirring. And so since, since you brought your Bibles with you, why don't you turn with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 6. Joshua is the sixth book of the Old Testament. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's right. It's going to be on the screen in a second. But it's written by Joshua, who is the apprentice leader to to Moses. He's the one who brings the people out of the wilderness and into the promised land. Joshua is a picture of Jesus. It's actually his name, Yeshua, Joshua. So that's where we see this picture of us as people who have once been wandering now being able to be led into what God has for us, into promises. That's what we talked about this morning already. If you're looking for a title this morning, it's Fight the Good Fight. Fight the Good Fight. Last week we talked about freedom and what real freedom is and where it comes from. And today we have to realize that there are, there's a battle to actually applying that freedom. It doesn't just happen easily. There's a battle to it. 
I think if we're honest with ourselves and we look around our world today, we are certainly surrounded by conflict. I'm not just talking about the conflict that was unexpected this week, or, but we look back over the last months, over the last years, over the pandemic time, and we see conflict after conflict after conflict. Go on any social media page today, and before your eyes get to the bottom of it, you'll have been confronted with various opinions about what is wrong with you, your life, or the world. Someone say amen. (laughs) Turn on any news agency right now, and you will hear them having confrontations over political views or ideologies or philosophies on life. Sometimes you don't even have to go anywhere. You can just walk into a store with or without a mask and be confronted. A conflict is brought to you and I. We live in a world of constant confrontation. That's a little unnerving, isn't it? Like I know theoretically we say, I know we're in conflict, but when, we, when our spirit doesn't like conflict, when our spirit wants to keep the peace, when, when our spirit doesn't want to actually go into the conflict, it's unnerving to know that we live in a constant state of conflict. And the battle zone, my friends, is on multiple fronts. We're not fighting a single front war. We are fighting a battle on every level, relationally. Our relationships are constantly being challenged by unhealthy boundaries, by dysfunction that has happened in our life and we have allowed or continued to go on, by fear of loss of that relationship. Culturally, as generations clash over what is right and what is wrong and what should be right and what rights we should have, we find ourselves constantly in confrontation. Emotionally, our soul, our ego, our identity, uh, our, our sense of well-being is constantly being battered by this compounded grief and cumulative weariness over and over again, time and time again. Again, I have to go through this again, again, again. And we get battered down emotionally. All of us. It's the world we're living in. Let alone, the Bible tells us, spiritually, we live in a constant state of conflict. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but it does say we're wrestling. There's all sorts of principalities and powers around us that are actually living and bringing conflict to our life, to our marriages, to our marketplace, to our integrity. And these things all put together, the result of them, the reality is that the battle for intimacy, to keep intimacy with God alive, and to keep holiness as our focus, is constantly being challenged. Constantly. Constantly. It's easy to make a decision to be holy on a Sunday morning, But then there's a Monday morning. And that's the reality we live in. That's why we should be encouraged when 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul tells us to fight the good fight. To fight the good fight of faith. Faith. Not of opinion, not of ideology or political alignment. Faith. Faith is who God is. It's his word, his way, his will. That's what faith comes from. We're not just called to fight fights. We are called to fight For faith in our lives. Faith to be alive in our marriage. Faith to not just be a concept inside of our relationships, but activated in it because there's confrontation that needs to be confronted with faith. 
But what does it mean to fight the good fight? How do we do it in our modern world? Especially in our modern world where the American church has been pigeonholed into kind of being identified as fighting only for certain American rights. What is it that we should be fighting for as God's people? As people of faith, as disciples of Jesus, what should it? And is the battle worth the cost? That really is a question we have to ask. In the text we're going to look at here, we're going to see the children of God coming into the promised land for the first time. And the very first thing that they do when they walk into the promises of God is they face a battle. Now, many of you may be familiar, at least semi-familiar with this battle. It's the Battle of Jericho. And just by looking at it, I hope we can learn some things about how we, or maybe why we, should fight the good fight. You know, the beautiful thing about this, just so that we see the application to us, is that the promised land that they're going into is a picture of the abundant life that Jesus promises his disciples. He says, man, when you follow me, I'll lead you into abundant life. That's what the promised land is. But if you notice, there's still battles that have to happen even when the promises precede you. This is what the word says in Joshua 6.1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of God. None of them went out and none of them came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given you Jericho into your hand. Hadn't happened yet, but God saw it already as it was because faith sees things that aren't, come on, and already calls them as they are. I have already given you Jericho into your hand, its kings, the men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war. You shall go around the city once, every day for six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow their trumpets. Then it shall come to pass, when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Come on, shout unto God with a voice of triumph, the Bible says. Then the wall of the city will fall flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. I love this story. But here's what I'm going to say. So often when I've preached it and I've heard it preached, we focus on how the victory is won. How the victory is won. Worship, obedience to God's word, people putting faith into action and actually having to do it. And all that's true. It's true. And it's needed for us today. However, today I didn't want to talk about how to win the battle. I wanted to stop and ask us this question. Why should we fight the battle? Why did they fight it? Why should they fight it? Why were they willing to walk in the heat of the Middle East? Over miles and miles of rough terrain. Seven days up and down and around. Enduring the taunts of the enemy as the people stood on the walls and taunted them and actually degraded them about how small they were and how they were incapable and the weakness of their God. The question has to remain, why would they do that? Why? Why should we? It's not just how. It's why that matters. But even before we hop into that, I want to take a moment to encourage us with something. And I know this may not sound like encouragement, but it really is. We should be encouraged because we should not be surprised when there seems to be some insurmountable obstacle to the wholeness and health that God has promised us. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that there are Jerichos in our way. We shouldn't be surprised 
taken off guard, that there are obstacles to the things God wants to bring into our life. It's, I, I, love the, I love the enthusiasm of uh, newlyweds. Like when, when you're a newlywed, before you get married, you're like, everything's rainbows and unicorns. It's awesome. It's great. We're never going to have an argument. It's just going to be the best. I can't wait till we get married. And then you get married, you go on the honeymoon, and everything is fantastic because you're doing new things, and everything's wonderful. And then you come home, Jericho. <laughs> All of us know it on this side, but we don't expect it on the other side. See, there is no mistake here. There's no mistake. Jericho was the first thing they encountered when they crossed the Jordan River and came into God's promises. There's no mistake because God was teaching them a lesson. There's no mistake. I just want to say one thing even about that before we go in because it's needed in this moment. But the Bible says when they crossed the Jordan River, they came to Jericho. There were two bodies of water that needed to be crossed in order to, to win victory in the promised land. The first body of water was the Red Sea that we already know actually symbolizes baptism. We talked about that before. When they come out of Egypt, out of oppression, into the direction of the promised land, they got out of something through the Red Sea. But then they had to go through the Jordan River to actually live in victory in the promises of God. The Jordan River is an image of the Holy Spirit. It is the river of life that Ezekiel prophesies about coming out of the throne of God that actually runs through the heartbeat. It is actually the Jordan River that runs through the heartbeat that actually when we're plugged into it produces fruit, produces leaves of healing for the nation. My friends, this is a Pentecost moment. We cannot go into the promised land without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. God us and leading us we need to not just cross the Red Sea we need to actually be baptized in the Jordan River as well Jesus says in John 16 if I don't go away what advantage of it is to you there's no advantage because the Holy Spirit will come when I go there's this moment that we need the Spirit church I need the Spirit's wisdom in this world I can't figure this out all by my own I need this Holy Spirit to speak to me and convict me about ways that I've accepted and shouldn't have accepted. Danielle and I have taken the last two years and taken personal journeys inside of ourselves and looked at the privilege that we've had. Looked at the way that we were grazed, the way that we've looked at life coming from certain perspectives that maybe seemed right to us. Come on. But they didn't reflect the heartbeat of the king. I need the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you shouldn't be surprised. Because in the same verse in John 10 that he promises more abundant life for people who follow him, he also says, there's a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You're in a battle whether you want one or not. The question isn't really whether you're going to fight it. So the question we have to get back to, my friends, is this. Why did they fight? Thus, why should we fight these battles that seem so insurmountable to you and I? And here's the answer. And this answer needs to get seated inside of us deeply. Why did they fight Jericho? Because Jericho was on holy ground. Jericho occupied holy ground that was meant to be holy for God. 
Jericho occupied part of the promises of God that God already made for his children that they could not live in while it remained. They couldn't walk around it. They couldn't ignore it because this ground, this land, this portion of their life was holy ground. It was sacred. It was meant to be used for God's glory. It was meant to have the king's presence, not the enemy's stronghold, but a king's presence in it. It is meant for holy ground. Do you remember just before this, in, in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua, he crosses the river and he's standing out front of Jericho and he's worried about how they're going to overcome this insurmountable obstacle. And all of a sudden, he runs in face to face to the angel of the Lord. But we know the angel of the Lord is an image, it's actually a theophany, I believe, of Jesus. Because the Bible says Joshua falls down to worship him. And no angel in the Bible will allow you to worship him. And he calls himself the commander of the Lord's army. Which we know is a position that Jesus holds. Because he leads the army of the heavenly host in the final days. He is standing in front of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, here you are before the obstacle in front of you. Take off your sandal. Because this is already holy ground. He had to change his perspective about worrying about what the battle was going to look like to understanding why he was fighting the battle. See, that ground wasn't holy simply because it was holy. It was holy because it contained the promises of God and the presence of Jesus. Our life is not just holy because it's holy. It's holy because it contains the presence of Jesus and all the promises he died for on the cross. That's what makes it holy. So the truth is, my friends, truly today, something that could, has to get inside of us is we have to see our lives as holy ground. We need to see our marriage as holy ground. Our relationships as holy ground. We need to change our focus and get it off what will happen if we fight or not fight. We have to understand that life that God has given you is meant for holy ground. But here's the reality. The reality is there's going to be Jerichos in our life. All over them, by the way. No, don't get me wrong. There's going to be some areas in you and I that are like wide open spaces. They're awesome. They're clear. They're fantastic. But then there are going to be places that have some long-standing strongholds that are deeply occupying ground that is meant to be holy. Ground that is meant to reflect the holiness of God. Ground that is meant to give God glory through holiness and when we try to walk around those jerichos or leave them untouched we are actually allowing unholiness unhealth and brokenness to remain when those places are meant to be established as holy we're saying i'm okay with it being broken i'm okay with it being unhealthy i'm okay with it not reflecting what god has called it to reflect in my life and I get it we all have Jerichos because this Jericho represents all of those obstacles that we deem inside of us to be too big or too strong to actually come against but the reality is in our decision not to engage we are leaving ground that is meant to be holy as unholy we're leaving the enemy footholds in our lives in our marriages in our emotions in our minds in our lives even in our intimacy with God. Because in those moments we're saying to God, no to his holiness, no to his presence, no to his purpose. 
We do this in our marketplace all the time. We do it in our marriages. We do it in our relationships. We do it in our daily life. How? Because you and I have routines that we have simply actually put in place and established over time, ways of interaction. We've set up habits to self-soothe, habits to manage the relationships to keep peace. We've set up these things in order to try to avoid the obstacle that is robbing us of health and holiness. We've accepted ways of talking to each other that we shouldn't. We have extended family that brings dysfunction into our lives, but after all, we have to understand because after all, they're family. We have brokenness in our finances, in our communication, in our sex life, in our work life, priorities, even in our commitment to God. But if we're honest, and I know for me this is a lesson I've, I continually have to learn, is that we have learned to navigate around them in order to try to keep the peace. I just learned. We just learned. We learn habits. We learn how to keep peace. Make sure everybody's good. Are we all right? Is this everything good? But if we're honest with ourselves, there's no peace in it. I know for me, every time I try to navigate, and I've done this so many freaking times, you'd think I'd learn. Every time I think about my life and I go, oh man, I'm going to just try to keep the peace here. I'm going to ignore the elephant in the room. I'm just kind of going let me, to, let me just kind of go around it and we'll just kind of coax it. We'll, 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 we'll take the edge off it a little bit. When I lay my head down on the pillow at night, I don't have rest. I don't have peace. I'm stressed out. I'm worried. It's not going to be enough. Something's going to happen. I mean, someone's going to break something. I mean, this is all going to fall apart. Let alone the Holy Spirit inside of me convicting me, going, dude, really? What are you doing? All of us have uh, that Holy Spirit voice, don't we? Danielle sounds, she always says it sounds like an old Italian woman, right? For me, it's like, dude, you're a moron. How many times do I have to bring you to this place? And the Holy Spirit is convicting me, so there's no real peace, even though I've tried to keep the peace. Because that ground was meant to be holy. And the only time we'll have peace is when holiness is established where it's meant to be established. Let alone, my friends, I just want to encourage you, there are, there are Rahabs trapped within the walls of each of these moments that are meant to be released and set free by our decision. There are Rahabs. There was a Rahab inside the city that the people didn't even know about. There, there, was, there was a blessing inside that they couldn't see. There was someone that God was moving on inside of that situation that the people didn't even know about. But when they decided to fight, Rahab was released. There are Rahabs in our relationships that you don't even know God's working on. But when we decide to fight for holiness, it releases something in them. This is why it's essential to establish the why. The why behind what we are doing. To establish, are we just here to establish a life free of conflict? Or to establish a life seated on holy ground? Because the end goal in this often trips us up even as people of faith. Because we all are going to fight, but why we fight and what we fight for sometimes gets murky in our world. A little muddy. And it tends to be a dividing line between what we've been talking about, believers 
and disciples of Jesus. Because believers, especially in the modern church, tend to fight from this place of idealness. Centered around our ideals. What we believe should be. What we would like it to be. What benefits us. And it's reinforced by this prosperity culture inside and outside of the church that creates a perceived ideal for our lives of what we should have, what we have the right to have, what we deserve to have, and then our life responds from that concept of idealness. Because after all, God wants me to be blessed, and this is what blessing should look like. It's why we feel like sometimes, uh, when we feel like some, something challenges that ideal, that we come out swinging. Because we believe something that's valuable to us is being threatened, taken away from the ideal. That's why we have to recognize the right ideal. It's also why when it's not, something's not part of our ideal, like maybe social justice, or elevating the poor, or taking care of the oppressed, because it's not really part of our ideal, we just don't bother to fight. Because it's not really part of what's valuable to us. But it is part of holy ground. When we feel this way, we're not alone. We see this in the scripture with the 12. They're just like us and we're just like them. Luke chapter 9 tells a story. There's an awesome story about there's this guy casting out demons from people in the name of Jesus. And John and the disciples come up to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, hey, this dude's not doing it the right way. Not one of us. Don't you think we should do something about that? I mean, do you hear what John is saying? He's saying, Jesus, this guy is taking some of our shine. If he's doing it that way and we're doing it this way, it means maybe what we're doing isn't that special. I mean, this really isn't fair. We're making the sacrifice. We're doing the hard work. This isn't part of the ideal that I thought would happen when I followed you. And they are starting from the wrong place, just like we do. They are starting from us. They're not doing it like us. They're not following like us. They're not being like us. Like us. And the truth is, my friends, that no matter how right the concept may be, when the foundation is wrong, it will eventually crumble. When that foundation is on us, on our ideal, on what we think should happen, what we think we're entitled to, what it should be like in our marriage, in our relationships, in the way our children should respond to us. When that is that way, it will crumble. It's why it's got to be based on him, his word, his way, his will, his word, his way, his will. How do we define holy? I don't know. Is it him? Is it his word? Is it his way? Is it his will? Take boundaries, for example, and this is something I've failed at billions of times. When we make boundaries that are correct to do in a relationship, but we do them from this place of what's ideal for us, what we think we deserve, what we think we're entitled to, every time those boundaries will crumble, every time. Because sooner or later the cost will become too high, the fear of loss will become too great, and somebody will push back against that boundary beyond what you're comfortable with. Because anything founded on us will crumble. It's sinking sand. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 26, 
if you, don't, if you hear my words but don't apply them, if you don't allow them to renew your life, your mind, your emotions, the way that you see life, you're building your life on a sinking sand and it will fall apart. Notice Jesus' response to all of this. He focuses on what's happening. That people are being set free. Lives are being changed and transformed. Holy ground is being established. Because disciples and discipleship is about fighting from the place of holiness. Knowing that there is holy ground that is meant to be established. So when I step back, it's not that, hey, how easy or how hard is this fight? How are they going to push back? What's going to be the obstacle I have to face? They, we start from this place of being able to say, what is holy? And holy ground has to be established. So I'm willing to go for it. Come on. They wanted to stop something. These people were being oppressed and possessed by the enemy. And Jesus is saying, look at what's going on. And you're worried about how it reflects on you? We should be worried about holy ground being established in them. Life being able to be lived in them. Actually coming from brokenness to wholeness. That's the attention that should be getting our attention. Why are we worrying about how their action reflects on us? How is it that I bring holy ground? How do I bring health? How can I establish the king and his kingdom in this moment? It's why... God tells Joshua in Numbers 33, when you go into the holy, promised land, drive out all the inhabitants. Don't let anything that's on holy ground that's not supposed to be on holy ground remain. Don't let it. Do you know what happens when they compromise and they allow things to stay? Samaritans. Samaritans. Now, I'm not talking about Samaritans ethnically. I'm talking about Samaritans uh, in, in the picture spiritually. Spiritually, Samaritans are people who are half in, half out. They want to worship God their own way, on their own mountain, and do their own thing. And this is what is produced in our Christian lives when we allow things to remain unclaimed as holy ground. We will just say, yeah, I know, I know, but I want to worship God my way. I want to worship God on my hill. I want to worship God this way. That's what will happen in our lives. I was just speaking uh, in Forge this week, which is our men's discipleship group, about Ephesians 4, 22. And it says, take off the old self and put on the new. He's not talking to people who don't know Jesus. He's talking to the church, people after salvation, realizing that there are still mindsets, there's still belief systems, there's still behaviors in our life that are not wholly ground yet. And he said, we've got to learn how to put those things on in our life. That's the why. And I love this Greek word for take off. It actually means to take off and throw away an old garment. That's actually the picture. The word is take off and throw away the old garment. Now, this just happened to me this week. She laughs. This just happened to me this week. And it probably happens to you. Do you guys have any old clothes that are real comfortable that you know you should throw away but don't? I, had, I took a shirt out of the dryer this week, and, and it has holes everywhere. I mean, everywhere, right? And I started to fold it, and she said, Danielle said, what are you doing with that? And I said, I'm folding it. She said, throw it in the trash. And I said, no, 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 I can wear it to bed. She said, no, you can't. I said, well, I can wear it outside to work. She said, I want to use it as a rag to clean up the floor and throw it out. 
But the truth is, how many times are we holding on to things out of comfort that are keeping us from walking in holiness? That's why you and I as disciples, we need to see things differently. Disciples are willing to fight to create environments of holiness and health. Even in the promised land, they needed to establish holy ground. God's promises preceded them, right? Just like he does with us before we come to salvation. God's promises precede you. They go before you. But there's still battles we have to fight. They had to fight 31 kings, giants, fortresses, hilltop forts, armies so vast and so wide they couldn't be counted. They had to fight because they had to reclaim holy ground. Matter of fact, it's part of the reason that Jesus came. 1 John 3, 8 says one of the reasons Jesus came was to destroy the work of the devil. Now I'm not calling your relationship a devil. I'm not calling your lifelong friend a devil. I'm not calling your marriage the devil. But I'm asking, is it a Jericho? Is there still unclaimed holy ground in it? We shouldn't be discouraged if there is because God promises Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.10. He said, I have appointed you and empowered you. I love this. To, uh, to uh, uproot and tear down. To destroy and overthrow. To build and to plant. I, I want to make one thing clear, especially in the light of this week. I'm not talking about fighting people. I'm not talking about tearing down groups. I'm not talking about overthrowing political parties. I'm talking about fighting the battle of unholiness in us. Uprooting things that have been a stronghold of the enemy that have kept you and I in our relationships in brokenness, unhealth, and dysfunction for years. That have robbed us of our peace, that have kept us from actually living with intimacy with God, allowing shame to keep speaking louder and louder into our voice. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those emotional Jerichos that produce bitterness and resentment and long-lasting offense. And it allows unforgiveness to find a place to rest in us that gives way to disillusionment and disappointment and depression, and it robs us of our peace. Those relational Jerichos that allow dysfunction and abuse and the feeling of being trapped, or at least, in the very least, create disappointment in our lives that create the never-ending circle of unhealth and dysfunction in our relationships that we've learned to live with. Those behavioral Jerichos that allow secret sins to continue to take ground, secrecy to be rooted, shame to have a loud voice, and the enemy to gain a stronghold in our life that robs us of wholeness. And those spiritual Jerichos that can take the form of generational curses that are passed down to us and maybe unwillingly accepted. And listen, there are those generational curses that come to us, but then there are those generational curses that go through us that never should because we're unwilling to reclaim holy ground. I think the saddest thing, my friends, in our unwillingness to go after these Jerichos is not simply the consequence it reaps on us and our friends and our family, but what it actually says to Jesus. What we're actually saying to our king, and I know none of us would like to say it this way, but this is what we say. 
We're saying, I really do appreciate all you did for me, Jesus. But honestly, the price is too high for me to walk with you in it. Jesus, I, thanks. And I know you provided it, but the cost is too high. And we don't want to say that out loud, but that's the reality of our life. But do you know how much God loves you? Like, this is Jesus' response to those moments. Trust me. Hey, trust me. Joshua goes to Jesus, and he's like, uh, yeah, are you for me and against me? He said, um, irrelevant. Trust me. Because I'm for the will of the Father in your life. Because it's not about what's good for you, Joshua. It's about what the Father has for you, Joshua who he is. That's what I'm going to fight for. And I think the challenge is, my friends, many times we stay trapped in our wilderness experience because the enemy has convinced us of something being true that is not true at all. It's an illusion. And we become afraid that w- of what we could lose because of how big the issue seems to you and I in front of us. Do you realize This is what's so crazy about Jericho. In Joshua 2, the Bible says when the spies go in, they go to Rahab, and Rahab says this. We have been petrified since the day we heard what God did at the Red Sea. Did you hear what she said? We've been petrified since the day God did something at the Red Sea for you. That was 40 years before. For 40 years, the enemy was afraid of what God could do if God's people believed what God could do. But the enemy, come on, but the people were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because the enemy convinced them that Jericho, that was petrified of them, was mightier than them. We were afraid of an illusion. Jericho's may be well established in our life, but they're mere illusions. Do you realize that's actually one of the names translated that Jericho means? The city of the moon? The moon has no light. It robs the light from the sun. It is a dead body. It has no power in and of itself. The thing that you are afraid of is an illusion. The thing you are afraid of losing is an illusion. It has no power. Those things cannot stand up against the promises and the power of Jesus. It's why we cannot accept those things as truth in our life because they are counter to what truth says and who truth is. That's why I love David when he battles his Jericho. His name's Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, he runs into the battle. And he's coming at Goliath, and he said, you come at me with armor and spears and a sword. I come at you in the name of the Lord my God, who you have defiled. I come at you in the name of the Lord, who you have defiled. He understood that Goliath's presence in the promised land defiled God. That the very presence of Goliath standing there was a stench in the nostrils of God. It's why David came at him with the name of the Lord, the very essence of who God is, Because he was purposed that nothing unholy was going to remain on holy ground. 
He said, you may be bigger than me. You may be stronger than me. The odds may be against me. You've got an army at your back, and I've got a sling with five stones. But I've got something you don't got. I've got the name of the Lord my God. I've got the name above all names. We are not powerless. I'm not talking about fighting people. I'm not talking about overthrowing politics. I'm not talking about tearing down culture. I'm talking about the unclaimed holy ground in us. We have to come at it in the name of the Lord. Starting with Jesus, who he is, his word, his will, his ways. We need to be purposed to allow nothing to remain in our relationship or in our marriage or in our heart or in our mind that is not holy. One of the saddest scriptures for me is Numbers, uh, Numbers 26, 63. Moses in the beginning of the journey, takes his people outside the Jordan River, right across from Jericho. Do you know what he does? He counts all the men who are fighting age to see if they have enough power inside of themselves to win the victory without God. Do you know what the result was? They all died in the desert. Life, my friends, brings us to obstacles we can't overcome in our own strength so that we must rely on the holiness of God. But faith brings God's strength against those obstacles so that we might have life. That is fighting the good fight of faith. His word, his will, his way. Yes, there are obstacles on holy ground. Yes, there are battles that are need to be fought. Yes, there are giants and kings that need to be displaced in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. But like Moses standing at the burning bush, and God says to him, take off your sandals because this is holy ground. Holy ground, my friends, is where God meets with us. Holy ground is where God speaks with us. Holy ground is where God commissions us. Holy ground is where God empowers us. And holy ground is where we have the opportunity to bless him back. Holy ground. Holy ground. Everything, my friends. This, what I'm talking about today, is not simply about getting us free from some of the things that hinder our abundance and abundant life, but taking advantage of every opportunity we can to actually know our king better, to hear him more clearly, to trust in him more deeply, to experience his presence more nearly in our life, and ultimately to give him an opportunity to be blessed by us. Every treasure that was in Jericho was meant to be given back to God as a sacrifice. Everything that came from that victory, every treasure within those walls was an offering to God to bless him. My friends, there are treasures hidden within we don't even know that will bless God by our obedience. There are Rahabs trapped within those walls that we can see be see set free. There is ground that is once again meant to feel the presence of the king and the kingdom if we will simply rise up and stand and trust God. How do we bless him? By trusting him. I trust you, God, to take holy ground. In this day and age, just as we close, 
in this day and age. We cannot afford to be believers that simply fight for the rights to have what we value to us. But we have to become believers who fight the fights that have value to the king. We must take back holy ground in us. No room for separation between ourselves and God. No separation between us and the heartbeat of God. No room for the enemy to build a stronghold that robs God and us of moments of love and intimacy. For us to never be separated from everything that Jesus did for us on the cross, but to reclaim holy ground. All week long, I've been singing this old hymn, I'm standing on holy ground, and I know that there are angels all around. Let us praise Jesus now, for we are standing in his presence. We are standing in his presence. Is your marriage in his presence on holy ground? Is your relationship, is your mind, your attitudes, your behaviors? Is it standing in his presence on holy ground? It's all that matters. It's not the how, it's the why. Why should we fight? Because we have a king who has established holy ground for us. And anything that remains that is unholy is a stench and robs us and robs him of everything he paid for. Maybe today the first Jericho that needs to fall is our pride, our unwillingness to surrender to Jesus' love and his lordship. Because we can't go any further in holy ground until we take this step. I'm not talking about being a better person or a nicer person or a good person. I'm asking, have you surrendered? And are you willing to surrender like Joshua did and said, man, I can't figure this out on my own. But I'm going to trust you, Jesus. Because that's where holy ground begins. Thank God the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because this is where holy ground begins. This is where holy ground starts. Is it started in us? Are we believers who come to church trying to be good, trying to be better? Or are we willing to bow our knee and be a disciple? And say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm holding nothing back. I'm going for you. Can we just pray? Because my prayer today is that you understand your life that he created for you, the beauty of who you are, the beauty of what Jesus died for, is worth fighting for. Your marriage that he gave you, it may be broken, it may be messed up, but it's worth fighting for. Your relationship that has some dysfunction and and, and that, that has some hurt, it's worth fighting for because there's unclaimed holy ground that's worth fighting for. 
through his word, his way, and his will. And his word for you says this. If you confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that he died for you and rose again, that's enough. Today, if you'll do that, you shall be saved. Then he will fill you with the Holy Spirit who will be your God and your counselor, a light to your darkness, who will speak life and light inside of you and empower you to be an overcomer. You will go from being the tail to the head, from being conquered to being more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. You will go from having every weapon that's formed against you prospering to being a man or a woman that walks in faith that does not allow the enemy to have weapons that can prosper against them. Because there's holy ground. There's holy ground. There's holy ground. Today is your day. I'm just going to pray a simple prayer to ask Jesus to come into our hearts. It's a moment of surrender. If you've never done that, can I invite you to pray with me from the bottom of your heart? Or if you're finding yourself at a distance from God today, can you pray with me right now? And allow God to do what only he can do. Let's pray. Pray together today. Dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to surrender my life. All that I am, all that I have, all that I ever will be, I give to you. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. To forgive me of all my sins. Everything I've done wrong. Cleanse me. Fill me with your spirit. Make me your child. From this day forward and forevermore, I choose to live my life on holy ground. For your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, church, can we give God some glory for decisions being made today here and at home for that? Church, I hope that you've heard my heart today. Thank you for letting me share this with you today. I know if you've made that decision, just want to take a moment to encourage you to stop over and see Pastor Rick over here. Pastor Rick, give him a wave. He has a, he has a book for teens and tweens and a book for adults that are free just a way to help you understand the decision you made today and how to walk it out. Today is a great start, but it's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. That's why we need one another. My friends, in our culture today, in our world today, there's not a need for men and women of God to fight more on the Internet to fight more on the street corners. There's a need for men and women of God to fight for unclaimed holy ground in our lives. Because what God does in us, he can do through us into the world around us. Who we are makes the difference. Who you are can make the difference. just going to ask Pastor Irene to come just as we close today with an act of worship and giving. And Pastor Irene is just awesome. She and Pastor Ron have been so faithful and so true uh, of friends over so long of this journey. 
And I just want to say thank you to you guys. We love you. Talking about holiness, we love you guys so much. Such a great example. Can you give Pastor Irene just a hand as she's coming? Good morning, church. Wasn't that a great word today? Let's give Pastor Kyle a hand. So, so thankful for this house that we've been in here. My son, Nate, we love this house. Well, my name is Irene. It's an honor to encourage us on the giving of our tithes and offerings. I have a great verse that I'm going to share in just a moment. But before I do, I want to remind you of the different ways that you can give. We have these beautiful kiosks and offering envelopes in the auditorium. And there's that QR, that quick response code that you can shoot with your uh, phone camera and we'll take you to our website where you can give. Well, in John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says some of his very most significant words. These are like some of the last words that he's going to say before he goes to the cross. And he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit will remain. And that's what I want to focus on. What a beautiful encouragement, church, that God has chosen and appointed us, right? We didn't have to qualify ourselves. It's not about our abilities. And he's not limited by any circumstances that we face today in this crazy world. But he's chosen us and he has appointed us. The second beautiful thing about that verse is that he has chosen us to bear fruit that will remain, that will last forever and ever. And that is a beautiful description of what happens when we give into this house. Lives are changed forever and ever for all eternity. We grow as his disciples together. We learn to share the love of God with our world. We have our beautiful TKC truck that gives the gospel and food to our communities. I don't know about you, but I'm still thinking about those pulled pork sandwiches last week. So good, right? We, we had a great celebration out here. We had a great time of fellowship for Father's Day and Juneteenth. So thank you so much, church, because when you give, it changes lives forever and ever. So will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you so much. You have chosen and you have appointed us. We are so honored. We are so humbled that we can bear fruit that will remain, that will never fade, and we can live lives of purpose. So bless this offering. Use it to change many lives. In your precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, church. Awesome. Thanks, Irene. We love Irene. you so much. Thank you. are the you. best. Hey, church, let me... Will you just stand with me? Let me pray over you really quick before we go. We can try to keep the peace or we can allow and trust Jesus to do what only he can do and bring the peace by reclaiming holy ground. My prayer over you this week, this month, this year is that our eyes may be opened, our hearts may be receptive, and that we may learn to trust that he is worth the fight. The holy ground is worth the battle. The health and wholeness is worth the squeeze. It's worth it. It's worth it. He paid for it. Now we just have to walk in it. Father, I pray for every person, every man, every woman, every child, every teenager in this room today, everybody watching online, listening later on podcasts, we're believing right now in the name of Jesus that you will fill us to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. 
that, Lord God, you will empower us through your word, your will, and your way to make a difference in our lives, that the ground that we have left unclaimed may be reclaimed by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, that we may actually trust you to do what only you can do and destroy strongholds and bring liberation and freedom, break addiction, break hopelessness, Lord God, break dysfunction, Lord Jesus, bring health and wholeness and holiness into the areas of our lives that have been unsubmitted and who have reigned unreigned in by our soul. Holy Spirit, come. Daddy, I pray that you bless each and every man, woman, and child in this place. Bless their going in and their coming out. Let your light shine in the midst of them. Open our eyes to see your truth. Open our hearts to be willing to receive it. Pour boldness into our spirit that we may trust you as we walk in faith from this moment forward. Let your kingdom come as we prayed already today. Let your will be done. May our lives and our relationships, our marriages, our minds, our hearts be holy unto you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Have a great week. Looking forward to seeing you next week here at Connect.